I, I heard the terms believing is seeing from a, uh, from Ray Steadman. I'm not sure if you believe, if you know who he is, he's a wonderful uh, man. I use a lot in my, when I teach Sunday school, but first of all, I am a biologist first and an educator. And I must confess to the gentle press of intimidation, bringing biblical comments to biblical scholars such as you. But I have been asked, and so here goes. Um, but first, let me tell you a little story here. This is um, a young man who is a soldier who is struggling in his walk with Christ, and he is writing an, a letter to his godly pastor. And here's what he says. I think I've lost my faith in the power of prayer. It seems like I've asked so many things in Christ's name that were answered. And I get the skeptical feeling that it would have happened one way or the other, whether I prayed or not. And if it comes out the way you ask, then you say, my prayer was answered. And if it doesn't, you say, God chose not to answer it this way, or he'll answer it later if I keep praying, etc., etc., etc. I haven't by any means rejected Christianity, but I can't, no matter how much I want to give myself wholeheartedly to this way of life, I am so uncertain about but it's really tough riding the fence. Now, there's an honest letter. And I remember as a young pastor's wife being there on occasion myself. The bottom line is, I tried prayer and it doesn't seem to work. This really is repeating an oft-heard comment. Seeing is believing. I have to see something before I can believe. And Ray Steadman suggests it's a great lie foisted on us by our evidence-based culture, our science, my science, and a skeptical world. But for us, believing first is seeing. And yet, sometimes I think it's true, seeing is believing. Now, if I were in my Sunday school class, I would stop and say, how would you answer this young soldier? What would you say to him? about his letter to his pastor. And then we'd have a big discussion about uh, between mature Christians who probably haven't been where he is in a very long time. And they'll say some things, and I did this, I used this illustration once, and I got comments about, well, this is how you have to look at things, and the Bible says this, and, and none of them are quite as satisfying as they might be. So I'm gonna illustrate what I think is the issue here. And first I want to show you this book. All right, now I want you to look at the title of it and look at it. I was recently in a local bookstore and our local bookstore is called Books a Million. You guys have any of that up there in Colorado, Kansas? No Books a Million? Okay, well, it's, it's a, an ex experience if you go in there. It's really good. Anyway, I walked into Books a Million and it was a warm fall Florida afternoon. And this is the book that I glanced at when I walked through. Now, the gist and the purpose of this book is to convince you that you do not need to age. With that information, and if I were in my class, I would say, what do you think of this book? And I'd be curious to know what you think about this book. Can we, can we have a couple of comments here? What do you think? 
I told you I'm a teacher, you know, and teach you got to sort of talk back to your teacher kind of thing. I'm attracted to the idea. I'm a little skeptical. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's anybody else have a thought about it. Does it sound like a bunch of what we used to call poppycock when I was a little kid? Is that what it sounds like to you? Okay, is anybody ready to buy the book? Anybody? I think there? I think Donna that that I would pick up the book and look at the chapters uh, okay. before okay. I would invest time reading it. Okay, good. That's a good good approach. Now you don't know anything about this book except what I've said to you, and I want you to keep this little soldier in mind when we go through this. Um. Let me tell you why I noticed this book and I purchased it and who the author is. Okay, so first of all, I listened faithfully to a program on Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. And if, if you, I don't know what time it would be on at your place, but this is a tremendous radio program on NPR. It's called The People's Pharmacy. And the couple here, one is a pharmacologist and the other is a medical anthropologist. And they also write weekly columns in several national newspapers. So I heard the author of that book, Lifespan, talk about, he was on the, on the program one Saturday, and I was so impressed with his credentials and his research. So after checking it out at the library, I went to the library and check it out first. Then I read it. Then I went to Books A Million. Not, to, not with the intent of perusing books, but with the intent of buying that book. And that's why I bought it. And I have read it through once and reread portions of it several times. And I am even now working to implement some of its proposals. Now, what do you think about that book? Well, I trust your recommendations, Donna. Okay. Okay. So it's got a little bit of credibility because you have heard a testimonial. Okay. Now, let me tell you about the author. Okay. This is the author. His name is David Sinclair. He's the one who wrote it. He is a professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School, Time Magazine's one of the most 100 influential people in the world in 2014 top 50 people in healthcare in 2018. He has received more than 35 awards for his research and major scientific breakthroughs, including the NIH Director Pioneers Award. He has been featured on Today, 60 Minutes, in Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Fortune, Newsweek, and he has published several articles in the top three journals of science that are in our time. Now, you see what you're doing here? First of all, you've had a testimonial from me. Now you know a little bit about the author. So I suspect your belief, your faith in that book is increasing. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's what the book says. Okay, now I'm going to throw a little science at you. Okay, with that, I do this to my class every once in a while just to make sure they're awake. <laughs> And because I'm more familiar with science than I am theology. So here we go. This is what the book says. Each of us, each of us, when we began as a single cell with instructions for all the body parts to, that are going to develop, 
And as the cell progresses through, the information that is necessary to, say, make a liver cell, for example, is shut off in the cells that make skin. But the full instructions are still within the cell, not just expressed. Now, a Japanese researcher whose name is Yamanaka, Yamanaka has determined that he can take the cell, not just a mouse liver or other cell, and he can re reprogram them into their original undifferentiated, say, single cell capable of creating a whole new organism. Now, let me explain this diagram. This is a, a, an adult cell that's had a whole lot of genes turned off. So the genes for making eye tissue or skin or hair are shut off in this fibroblast cell and only the, cell, the components necessary to produce the fibroblast cell are, are awake and alert and are producing. Okay, he uses these genes up here. One, two, three, four. There, there's a collection of genes that he uses. With the product of this gene, these genes, he reprograms the cell opens up all of the shutoff genes so that this now becomes an, what we call an induced pluripotent stem cell capable of making any of the cells in the body. How you doing? You follow that? Yes, we good? Okay, good. Now, he has discovered, this Yamanaka man has discovered how to reset the switches and return the cells back to their embryonic state. And he does so, again, using those three gene products. There are actually three of them. There's a bunch of them up there, but we have, we have uh, kind of um, picked out the top three that actually, all, these are all that we need, all these three that he's doing things with now. And these genes that produce these proteins are called the Yamanaka genes. Now, if you haven't heard of those before, you will. There, he has received the Nobel Prize in science for his discovery. Very, very important. Now, Sinclair, who wrote the book, believes that the cellular reprogramming in humans is coming and that it will first be used to treat age-related disease like glaucoma and macular degeneration. His research indicates our future may include something like the following scenario. At the age of 30, you will get a course of three injections of these viruses carrying gene combinations of these Yamanaka genes that can be convinced to lay quietly until the aging process begins. Then they can be externally activated and your body will rejuvenate itself. How you doing? Does that sound like something of interest to you? <laughs> now, you know, this sounds like space talk. It's not, folks. This, this has been, we're doing this in mice at this point. So it's, it sounds a little cocky, but um, I want you to, to stay with me here. Now, he, he, it can be, this is kind of the Reader's Digest version of, the, of chapter six in, his, in the book that I'm telling you about. Now, what do you think about this book now? I wish I could go back to being 30. <laughs> It's sort of believable with you. You sort of think it might work. Anybody feel like that? Well, we've been hearing about you know stem cell research, which sounds like you is. know this is connected. Yeah. 
one of the reasons we've been interested is is because of my knee problems. And we've heard a lot about stem cell being used for joint joint mm-hmm. issues and so forth. So anyway, yeah. it sounds like an extension of that, much more mm-hmm. advanced. Sure, sure. And right now, this is going on in, in mostly in mice. There's a few things uh, right on the horizon with humans, but mostly on, 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 on uh, mice. But it's kind of a proof of uh, prop, proof of that it works. You know, there's something in here that works. Now it's, ma- it's a matter of time before we figure out exactly how to do this in people and and start out slow and move move progressively in that direction. Now. I suspect your opinion of this book has risen, and here's why. You have had a testimonial. You have, a, you have understood more about the author's credibility, and you have heard a little bit about something about the book. You know, I've told you about that. You've had a recommendation from someone you know and may have confidence in, and you are developing an opinion of the character of the book the credentials of the author, and the character in the research. You may be curious enough to want to read the book or accept its premises because you have just gotten acquainted with the credibility of the author and the character of the author. Now, back to that young soldier. I think the most pressing need for him is to develop deeply into the understanding of the character of God. We can tell him all the reasons why his prayer doesn't work the way he thinks it should. He's heard testimonials of how God works, and he's seen. He's heard testimonials. He's heard people. He's looked and seen other people who believe in God. He knows a little bit about the character of God, obviously, because he does pray. And then he's. I'm sure he's read some of the Bible and gotten some information from the Bible, and see what God's word is and. But yet he still has begun to doubt the character and faithfulness of a loving God enough to trust in his providence. I'm teaching the book of Hebrews in my Sunday school class, and we are on chapter 9. And all of the preceding chapters are intent on developing the superiority of Christ, promoting the character of God. And as I'm sure most of you know, the author is addressing a harassed, persecuted group of converted Jews who are looking back longingly at returning to the old covenant because they do not understand who they do not understand the, te- the character of God and his great high priest, Jesus. Rather like the young soldier who is tempted to return back to unbelief in prayer because he does not understand the loving, faithful character of God. This this Christ, this Jesus, who in the words of Hebrews is the greater than the prophets, the angels, Melchizedek, Aaron, Abraham, the Levitical priest. He is the pioneer of our salvation. It is he who sanctifies our permanent great high priest, holy, undefiled, appointed by, with an oath by God, ministering at the right hand of God, perfectly mirroring God, ever interceding for us and expressing grace and forgiveness. This young man has not fully embraced who God is and the character of God. He doesn't know. You, you and I have had uh, developed an understanding of God's character over a lifetime using many, many references like examples of other people, 
that we've grown up with or watched. We have poured over the promises of God when the life is unpredictable. And then we have taken courses in theology. I remember in college, I took introduction to theology and I spent time in the presence of God. We've done that. So we have enough experience with the author to sense his heart. Whether God answers prayers the way we want him to or not, we trust his character and his great overwhelming love for us. We can trust that. And that's where you come in. You have become, in some measure, an example of the character of God to your students, to your acquaintances, to your colleagues, to your family. They're expecting you to live in the character of God, not perfectly, but to the extent that they can say, I see that there is a loving God because of the way you live. I believe he's faithful because you are faithful. I can believe in prayer because you pray. Ultimately, they must choose their own faith. But seeing is ever so helpful. In many ways, believing first is seeing because belief and faith must come first. And Hebrews is full of, by faith, our biblical ancestors stepped out in obedience before seeing anything. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is first and that he rewards those who, who seek him. But, you know, in some ways, seeing is believing because when they see Christ in you, we, they and we can believe more in the character of God. May these things be said of me and each of you as your students, your colleagues, and the questioning world develop a believing part of this equation. Thank you.